There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. to me, your spirit, your love for the Lord and for each other, the love of God you've shown to us. And some of you limped in here tonight. Some of you floated in here tonight. It's monsoon season in South Carolina. And uh, I'm just glad to see you on this Tuesday evening. How many of you have been here for every meeting, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday? That's so good. And I want to commend this church for your faithfulness. And I see families here with your young children and young people, and God will honor that. And I commend you for it. Before I begin speaking tonight, let's have a little fun. How many of you would like to have a little fun? People get nervous when the preacher says he wants to have a little fun. Here's what I want you to do. You've been here all week. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and I want you to tell somebody next to you one thing you've learned from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, don't preach a sermon to them, all right? And don't take this as your opportunity to straighten your spouse out. Just tell them one good thing God's taught you from this chapter. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, all right? Ready? On your mark, get set, go. Tell somebody right now something you've learned this week. Amen. That's good. How many of you think you're seated next to a real preacher? You're really next to a preacher. See some of you husbands raising your hand. You better be careful now. You know, the truth of the matter is God is teaching us all. And I told you when we started, I was going to speak to you out of the overflow of what God was speaking to me about. And uh, I, I meant that. And I want you to know I haven't been preaching to you. I really have been preaching to me and letting you listen but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit of God tonight will help us all with the second half of this chapter. So let's open our Bibles together. Would you please to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I hope you did read through it today, pray through it today. And by the way, the more you do that, the more natural that will become. Turning scripture into a conversation with the Lord. Somebody said, how do you do that? There's not a right way and wrong way. It's just communicating with the author. And so for every passage, that's a little different. For every verse, it's a little different. Sometimes it's a sin a verse brings to my attention. You know what I do? I stop right then and there and confess it. Sometimes it's a promise. I stop there and claim it. Sometimes it's a lesson I need. I stop there and say, help me with that, Lord. Sometimes while I'm praying my way through a passage, God brings somebody else to my mind, and I'll pray that passage for them. Many times I've prayed a verse of Scripture over one of my children, or I've prayed something for my wife that came straight from the Word of God. I'm telling you, the Bible comes alive when you start communing with the Lord this way. 
Would you let me read the whole chapter tonight? Would you let me take time to read the whole chapter? Let's start in verse number one. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, when presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I don't know if you know the name Alan Redpath or not. Redpath wrote a lot of wonderful things. I saw some of Redpath's books in your library. And yesterday I read something Alan Redpath wrote. I wrote it in the margin of my Bible here next to this passage. Redpath said, apart from a mighty awakening and revival in the church, we are fighting a losing battle because we are resisting on carnal levels. He's expressing exactly what this passage says, which is if you think for a minute that the church can can hold back the flood tide of iniquity, turn sinners to God, make a difference in this old sin-cursed world without the power of the Holy Ghost, you got another thing coming. We need the Lord. So we come to verse 5, casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having it a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And last night I spoke to you from these two verses on every thought and everything. And through the day today, the Lord has brought that to my own mind. Every thought, Scott, every thought and everything, Scott, not some of it, not at church, every thought and everything. And so we come to verse number seven. What a question. In fact, it's like a dagger to the heart. Look at the question that begins the passage tonight in verse seven. Paul says, do ye look on things after the outward appearance? Might I ask this church tonight, are you measuring your life, your family, by the outward appearance? Are you going to measure this church by the outward appearance? I mean, is that, that as deep we're going to go? We're just going to be surface Christians. We're going to, we're going to clean up good for church and spit, shine, and polish. We have a nice Christianity, and everybody says, you know, those are good people. Well, hold up. Do you really judge by the outward appearance? I must tell you, I think this is one of the most thought-provoking, convicting, heart-searching questions in the whole of Scripture. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that is Christ, let him of himself think this again. That as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. By the way, how many of you are glad you belong to Christ? <laughs> I just want to pause and say, I'm glad I belong to Jesus. I'm glad Jesus belongs to me. And look, if you belong to Christ, it ought to make a difference in the way you live. Look at verse number 8. Paul says, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a one think this. That such as we are in word by letters when we're absent, such will we be also indeed when we're present. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. 
But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. Would you pause just a moment? May I just point out how personal this is to Paul? Do you see all these personal pronouns? Do you, do you see all this reference to his own life and ministry? Do you, do you see how he's relating to these people about the sincerity of his own life? Might I say to you that this passage is not just for information's sake. Listen to me. God doesn't give information. He gives revelation. God doesn't give just facts so you say, oh, yeah, Paul's having a hard time with somebody here trying to straighten out. No, no, God's teaching us something here. There's a great application to each one of our lives. And for the record, it is deeply personal. It's about to get down where you live. When it comes to the end of the chapter, these last three verses, I think, are the great mission statement, the great purpose statement of his life. Oh, would to God, every one of us would say, Lord, I want that. Look at verse 16, to preach the gospel. In the regions beyond you. And not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. My mind right now just went to the Proverbs where the Bible says that most men... Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man, who can find? Search the churches of America. You'll find lots of people. You'll find lots of people talking about what they've done and who they are. But I wonder at the judgment seat, kneeling at the nail-pierced feet of the Son of God, who the Lord will come in. I must tell you that I think a lot of us who perhaps have been public, will have to step to the side as some dear saint of God whose heart was thoroughly right with the Lord, whose motive was pure, whose only desire was that Christ be loved and adored, will be brought to the front to be rewarded. I wonder, do we look on things after the outward appearance? I'm speaking tonight on the subject of life choices. Life choices. Because I'm going to show you three choices in just a moment. You've got to pick one, all right? Sorry, you can't have more than one. You can only pick one tonight. Life is full of choices. Truthfully, some choices you cannot make. I did not get to choose what I looked like. I did not get to choose my name. I did not get to choose who I was born to. I did not get to choose where I was born. That was all chosen for me in the good providence of God. And sometimes other people's choices affect your life. But there are some things that I will choose. In fact, I must choose. I'm thinking now in my own life of great choices that have affected my life. Now, look, we all make choices every day. I mean, you chose what clothes you were going to put on. That's not really a life choice. That's not going to affect the rest of your life. You, you chose which way you were going to drive to church tonight. And, you know, we make decisions all day long. 
And some of you made business decisions today and decisions for family and all of that. But I'm talking about the kind of choices that are like divine intersections in life. They're the crossroads of life where when you make a decision, it's not just going to touch you. It's going to touch lots of other people. And it's not just going to affect the present. It's going to affect the future. That's a life choice. As a five-year-old boy, I made a life choice. You know what it was? The greatest decision ever made in my life. I chose to trust Jesus as my Savior. (laughs) I made a lot of dumb decisions. Anybody else ever made dumb decisions? I'm just curious. I made a lot of dumb decisions I'd like to do over on, but I've never one time got up in the morning and said, you know, I wish I wasn't a Christian today. Not one time. I've never laid my head on my pillow at night and said, I wish if I died tonight I wouldn't go to heaven. That's never crossed my mind because that was the greatest decision of my life. On July 27, 1989, as a 12-year-old boy, I sat in a meeting that night. And a preacher, an evangelist, in fact, got up and preached. He preached like a wild man. I still remember. He jumped up and down and hollered and screamed and stomped and snorted and spit all over the first three rows. Ran around everywhere. I don't remember anything he preached that night. What I remember that night is God spoke to me. Isn't it wonderful while you're listening to a servant, you hear the master? I heard the master that night. That was the night God called me to preach. And as a boy, I knelt that night and I told the Lord, Lord, you can have my life. I was scared to death. Old country preacher grabbed me in the lobby of the church that night and put his arm in me. He said, so, son, God's called you to preach. I said, yes, sir. He said, great, get your first sermon together. You're going to preach next week in a cottage prayer meeting. And I said, hold up. Let's talk about this thing. I'll never forget what he said. He said, if you don't start serving God now, you probably never will. And he was right. So I got the first sermon together. It was a doozy, boy. I wish you could have heard it. It was really great. At least that's what they told me. It was really great. And I preached to all those senior citizens there, Mr. and Ms. Logan's house, at a cottage prayer meeting and stumbled through a few minutes. And when I finished, they all lined up and hugged my neck and shook my hand and told me I was the next Billy Sunday and it was the greatest sermon they'd ever heard in their whole life. They lied to me. That's what they did. They encouraged me. The life choice. Prayed about where I was going to go to school. Had, had two or three places I was really seriously thinking about. And then in the good providence of God, God led me to Knoxville, Tennessee, to a new college, to Crown College. I didn't know I was going to spend 22 years of my life there. Didn't take me that long to graduate, in case you're wondering. I finished school. My wife and I married and went on staff and served the Lord there for almost two decades. And, hmm, thinking now about that life choice, quite a choice it was. I remember when my wife and I met my first year in Bible college. We were in the same circle of friends. <clears throat> I actually liked another girl. Stupid, that's what I was. She liked another boy. I can't imagine that, but she really did. And we were in the same circle of friends, and we started talking to each other about the other people. You know, just as friends about these people that we liked. And after a while, we talked to each other so long about the other people, we decided we liked each other better than we liked the other people. So we got rid of them and kept each other. And we got married. Friday the 13th, it was the luckiest Friday the 13th of my life, let me tell you. 24 years ago. That was a great choice. It was the Lord's choice for me. I had a decision in it. She had a decision in it, but it was the Lord's choice. I like what was said years ago. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. I made a life choice a little over five years ago to leave where I was serving for so many years, and frankly, where I thought and other people thought I was going to spend the rest of my life and do what I'm doing now in evangelistic work. And some people thought I was crazy. 
I thought it was crazy a couple of times, to be honest with you. But I knew it's what the Lord wanted. That was probably the biggest decision I've ever made outside of trusting the Lord as far as a step of faith. And it was difficult. It was very difficult at that juncture in life and stage with our children and all of that. But God helped us through all of it. And that was a life choice. And, and look, while I'm here talking, it's, there's, there's, there's a purpose to it. I'm not just talking about my life choices. Because while I'm talking about my life choices, guess what all of you are thinking about right now? Yeah, your life choices. Decisions made. Some good, some bad. We've all made them. I must tell you that I thought, I was wrong, by the way, I thought that all the big life choices were made early in life. I really did. I thought early in life, you get all the big decisions out of the way, you know what I mean, where you're going to go to college and what you're going to do with your life and who you're going to marry. And then you get all those life choices out of the way, and it's just kind of smooth sailing the rest of the way. I've lived long enough to realize that's not the way it works. How many of you figured out that's not the way it works? In fact, all along the journey, there are these crossroads. All, all along the path of life, there are, these, there are these intersections and there are choices to be made. And when you come to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, Paul is presenting some choices that, frankly, he had to make and now the Corinthians had to make. And now, guess what? We have to make. Let me show you what they are. Would you, would you write them down somewhere? There are three of them tonight. And when we're done, you're going to have to choose one of these three. So listen very carefully. Number one. I want you to write this down. You can choose, number one, a life of appearances. Are you tired of keeping up appearances? I must tell you, it is exhausting trying to keep up appearances. We live in that kind of world. We live in the Instagram society. That's what we live in. We live in the society where everything's filtered for public consumption. We live in a world where everybody is deeply concerned about how they are uh, appear to others and how they are received by others and what others think of them. It is a life of appearances. And I take you back to the first question in verse number 7. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? Is it possible that we as believers have gotten to the place where we're living, pardon me, filtered lives Concerned more about what they think than what Jesus thinks. I want to tell you something. When it's all said and done, you're not going to care what other people thought. You're going to care what Jesus thought. See, I am not. I am not what I think I am. I am not what I say I am. And I am not what you perceive me to be. I am what God knows me to be. And God knows you, my friend. Way beneath the surface. Go back with me real quick in the Old Testament to 1 Samuel for just a minute. Let me show you what I'm talking about. You know the story of Samuel coming to anoint the next king of Israel. Now look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 7. It's a famous verse, but I want you to look at it in light of what we're talking about tonight. Because the Lord's about to teach Samuel something. And I want to pause and say, Lord, teach us something here. You remember Saul, head and shoulders of everybody else? You know the thing about Saul? He looked like a king. Look at Saul. He looks like the man. He looks like a king. David, not so much. That's why when all the brothers came by, Samuel was a little surprised. That's not the one. That's not the one. That's not the one. And David comes in. Look at verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. 
For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, the context of the verse is Samuel mourning over Saul. He thinks Saul ought to be the Lord's choice. And God says to him, stop looking at him through your eyes and look at him through my eyes. I'm going to tell you what we all need. We all need to get heaven's perspective on our life. That's what we need. Pastor said something to me today. Now, I remember at some point in our conversation, he said, we need a revival of something. It just made me think, you know, sometimes we throw this term revival around, like we need revival, we need revival. And I've just been chewing on that. A revival of what? Like what needs to be revived? Can I tell you one thing that needs to be revived? We need a revival of God's perspective on our life. And God said to Samuel, stop looking through your own lens and look through my lens. By the way, this is God's lens right here. This is the plumb line. This, this is the only measurement. It's not, it's not what you think and it's not what I think and it's not what somebody else is doing and it's not what somebody else says. It is this. What does God think about this? Remember I said to you that the great battle is in the mind? Well, maybe we need to stop thinking so much about our thoughts and start thinking more about God's thoughts. Dear Lord, what do you think about my life? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to tell you, you can fool everybody else, but you can't fool God. At some point, the facade falls. At some point, the plastic melts. At some point, the insincerity goes away and you stand with nothing but your naked soul and your own conscience before the God who knows the truth. Let me give you the words of Jesus on it. The Lord spoke to Samuel, but let me give you the words of Jesus. John chapter 7, verse number 24. Jesus said this, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Oh, Lord, give us righteous judgment. Give us the kind of discernment to see like you see and feel like you feel and think like you think. Oh, God, help us stop living our lives to please everybody else. And help us stop living our lives by appearances. Do you remember in James when the rich man walked in one door of the church and the poor man walked in the other? And James, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, called those believers out and said, You treated the rich man a certain way because of his appearance and the poor man another way because of his appearance. And he said, That's of hell. That's of the devil. That's not of God. Well, I want you to know something. At some point, God's people are going to have to get sincere before the Lord and before one another again and say, we're sick of this. We're sick of keeping up appearances. We're sick of just trying to put on a good face and some smile for Sunday. We want to be thoroughly right with God. We don't want to live a life of appearances anymore. I'm going to tell you what we need to do. Instead of just considering how we see people, we need to consider how God sees people. Go back to our text in 2 Corinthians 10. Let me show you something really interesting that struck me as I was meditating on this passage because Paul gives his perspective and he gives the Corinthians' perspective. But notice God's perspective in verse number 8. He says, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, he said, Look, I can talk to you about I'm an apostle, I'm called, I'm gifted. But that's not what he calls attention to. Notice two things he calls attention to. Just before that, what does he say? He says, even as you are Christ, so are we Christ. Oh, I love this. The emphasis is not on who Paul is. It's on whose Paul is. Let's make it real simple. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. 
not about how much Bible knowledge you have. You know who the most arrogant people in churches are? People who win Bible trivia every time they play. They know that already. They've been in Sunday school all their life. They've heard that sermon before. Oh, preacher, we already know that chapter. Listen to me. That very attitude strikes against the sincerity of a true follower of Jesus Christ. It's not about what we know. It's about what we're doing with what we know. And it's not about knowing things. It's about knowing God. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. And then look at the phrase after what he says in verse 8. Though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us. Mark that in your Bible. Who gave it? The Lord did. Let me tell you something to humble you real quick. Remember this. You're a bunch of nothing without God. You're a ball of dirt. That's what you are. God made man of the what? Dust of the ground. and Breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. You're just a ball of dirt without God. I'm going to tell you what you and I are. We're just a bunch of sinners without God. That's all we are. And James said it this way. Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Listen to me, church. Every good thing in your life is because God gave it to you. Matter of fact, let me just prove something to you. Go back with me just a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 a minute. Remember he wrote two letters to the church at Corinth? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7. This, every time I think about this verse, it just humbles me. Because we get, honestly, we all get stinking full of ourselves. The greatest hindrance to revival is the self-life. Look at verse number 7. He says, for who maketh thee, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Let me put that in layman's terms. Did you look here? You think you're special? Where do you think you got those blessings? Look at the end of the verse. Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Aren't we ignorant sometimes? I mean, honestly. People strut their way through life bragging, boasting, talking about themselves and what they can do and what they've accomplished. All the while, we're little specks of lint on the page of human history forgetting that every good thing in our life came from a very big God. Maybe we need to get God's perspective instead of what men see on appearances. Go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me show you a second choice. Not only can you choose a life of appearances, but secondly, you can choose a life of accolades. The accolades of men, the praise of men. Somebody bragging on you all the time. By the way, my dad told me as a kid, he said, son, remember this, a vata boy goes a long way. He was right about that. And when you pat people on the back and say, I'm proud of you and root them on, cheer them on. I think that's very good, and I think you ought to do that. Do that with your children. Do that with new believers, and do that with new members, and try to encourage one another. Good word, make the heart glad. A a word fitly spoken, how good it is. But let me just tell you something. I'm talking to mature believers tonight. If you're only doing it for the Vada boy, you're not going to be doing it very long. Come down with me in the passage, would you please, to verse number 12. Notice what he says. He says, for we dare not. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? I don't dare, he said. We dare not make ourselves of the number. By the way, what number do you belong to tonight? The majority of Christians? That's what he's talking about here. The majority. That's the way the majority live. You ready? Here's majority Christianity. What do they do? 
they compare themselves and they commend themselves. Mark these two words in verse number 12. He says, we dare not make ourselves the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Look, this is comparison Christianity. They're, watch, instead of looking to God, they're looking at each other. And people say, well, I give more than they do. I, I'm, I'm more faithful to church than she is. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much more the preacher expects me to do around here because I already serve everywhere. I mean, if it wasn't for me, this place couldn't even move forward. By the way, that subtle little pride creeps into all of us. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered about the time we get really full of ourselves, God has his own way of popping our balloons. Have you ever noticed that? He can let all the air out of your sails in a second and remind you how small you are. And Paul said, I just want you to know, I'm not boasting, and I'm not bragging, and I'm not, I'm not looking for you to pat me on the back and tell me how great I am because I'm not living that way. I'm not living my life for the praise of men. In fact, turn over to Galatians with me just a second. Go look at Galatians chapter 1. He writes to another church under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 10. What a verse. Galatians 1 verse 10, for do I now persuade men or God or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, oh, this is strong, I should not be the servant of Christ. Mm. How many of you want to be the servant of Christ? Then you've got to stop doing what you do for everybody else. If you want to be the servant of Christ, you've got to stop living for everybody to say. And you've got to stop being blown away when somebody goes, Dr. Robertson said it this way, you've got to die to compliments and criticism because both of them feed the self-life. It's death to self. It's death to self. That's what it is. Paul died a thousand deaths. He died day after day after day after day after day. And now I'm going to tell you, this is not a one-time thing. Every day of my life, I must choose. This day, I'm not living for appearances. And this day, I'm not living for the accolades of men. I'm not lining myself up next to somebody else to say, I'm a little better than they are. Watch this. You might be a little better than they are, but that doesn't mean you line up with Jesus. See, we're measuring by the wrong ruler. That's what we got. We got a, we got a half a ruler, and we think we're really big. You know one of the great dangers in the Christian faith? You know one of the great dangers in churches? People strive for excellence. You hear people talk that way? We're striving for excellence. That's never the Bible standard. Would you like to know the Bible standard? Obedience. Obedience. So what's the difference, preacher? I'll show you. Everybody look at me just a second. Excellence measures this way. Obedience measures this way. Excellence says, I'm doing better than we used to. I, I'm doing better than most people. I, I'm doing better. Than, hold up a minute. You might excel what somebody else is doing, but that's not the question. When you stand before God someday, it's going to be this. Did you obey God? You remember where we ended last night? With the obedience of Christ. It means you've got to die to the accolades of men. And then, let's keep going. Come down with me, please, to verse number 16. Here's the life God wants you to live. Oh, I like this. You can choose a life of approval. Whose approval, preacher? Oh, this is great. The Lord's approval. The only smile that ought to matter to you is the smile of Jesus. 
I wonder, did my life please the Father today? Today, I wonder if the Father smiled at me. Today, I wonder if the Lord who suffered and bled and died for me found worship that he was worthy of. Today, I wonder if the sweet Holy Ghost of God in me felt at home. Look, in the first life, the life of appearances, I'm looking at me. In the second life, the life of accolades, I'm looking at you. But in the third, the life of approval, I'm looking at God. I'm going all the way to the end of the greatest day I'm ever going to live which is the day I see Jesus face to face. That's going to be the greatest day I ever live on this planet. And I want you to know I'm living every day for that day. There's a great verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. We use it sometimes. We apply it to Bible study, but it's really not what it's about. It's fine application, but it says this. Study, which is not a dirty word in case you're wondering. Study to show thyself, what's the phrase? Approved unto God. Not approved, approved unto God. You know the name Jim Elliot? The missionary martyr. When Jim Elliot was in college, one semester he wrote a letter home to his dad. And he said to his dad, I just got my grades back for this term and some of my classes were not as good as they should have been. And he said in the letter, he said, I've been giving a lot of time to Bible study lately. That's, that's what most college students want to say to mom and dad, right? I've been giving a lot of Bible time lately, and I know I've neglected some other studies. He said, but I'm striving for one degree. And then he wrote these three letters, A-U-G. His dad looked at that, A-U-G. What kind of degree do you get in college? It's A-U-G. And Elliot said, A-U-G stands for approved unto God. I like that. For the record, all you college students, that doesn't mean you should stop studying, all right? May I say to you, this is the degree we strive for all the days of our life. What? I just want to be approved unto God. I, I want my life to measure up to what God has given me. In fact, look back at verse number 13. He said, according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, think about what God has given you. Every gift and every blessing and every resource and every open door, you're going to meet God with it someday. This church is a blessed church. This is a blessed church. Now, I want you to know something. As much as you ought to rejoice in it, you ought to be sober about it too because you're going to meet God with it someday. You're going to answer to the Lord for every good thing God has placed in your hand. That's a sobering thought to me. I'm going to meet God with my opportunity and with my ability and with my responsibility. I'm accountable to Almighty God, and so are you. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And in the end, the only thing that matters is the divine approval. And almost every Christian funeral... The minister stands up and at some point says of Christians, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. May I just say, preachers can't say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's only one person that can say that, and that's the Lord, and only God knows who's going to hear it. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I'd like to hear it. How many of you would like to hear it? Then you've got to live your life for his approval. And so we come to the last three verses, and this is where I'm bringing you to. I remember I said this is the great passion and purpose statement of Paul. Would you write it down? If you want to be approved, here are three godly goals for you, for your family, and for this church family. You ready? Look at verse number 16. Number one, to preach the gospel to others. You want to be approved in a God? 
You want God to smile on you? I'm going to tell you what God smiles on, bringing people to Jesus. People sit around and say, well, you know, we just don't know exactly what God wants. Yes, you do. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let me tell you, you let this church stay consumed with preaching the gospel, and God will take care of this church. You let this church get distracted with secondary things and forget the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you might as well shut the doors and write write Ichabod Ichabod on the church sign because God cannot bless a people who've forgotten the work of the gospel. To preach the gospel. By the way, mark this in your Bible in verse 16. I've marked this. I've marked the words to preach the gospel, and then I've marked this phrase, and not to boast. That'd be a pretty good motto for us, wouldn't it? To preach the gospel. We like to quote that, but let's get the rest of it too. And not to boast. Remember, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Did you know there's one thing God won't share? Now, God's a sharing God. He is a sharing God. I want to just pause and say, thank you, Lord, for sharing. He shares breath. Everybody take a breath. That's God's breath. Aren't you glad he shared it? He shares his food. He shares sunshine. He shares some rain. He shares grace. He shares wisdom. Thank you, Lord. He shares his presence. He shares his power. But did you know there's one thing in the Bible God says he will not share? He says he will not share his glory with another. I'll tell you what I've discovered. God gives favor, and he always gives favor for one purpose. It is for his own glory. And we, when we turn the favor for our glory, immediately we lose the favor of God. Immediately. The second we start taking any credit where God should be getting glory, I want you to know it's done. It's done. It is to preach the gospel and not to boast. In fact, I I must tell you this. Preachers have to die. You know preachers have to die. And in meetings, night after night after night after night after night, 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 night. And there's always a tendency, a temptation to want to say something to, to please, to impress. And I'm going to tell you what God has been dealing with me about. You've got to die to that. Look at me. I don't have to preach a good sermon tonight. You say, that's what we came for. Well, I'm very sorry to disappoint. I don't have to preach a good sermon tonight. All I have to do is obey God. And if the Lord is pleased, then we leave that with God. And I want you to know, you don't have to impress everybody, and you don't have to please everybody. Let me back up. You can't please everybody. Let me tell you what you have to do. You have to obey God, and if you're going to obey God, you must begin with the work of the gospel. I love this word, beyond. Mark it in your Bible. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. I think far too many Christians and far too many churches stop short of what God has for them. They, they, they get settled somewhere. They get comfortable. And after a while, they go into maintenance mode. They lose their pioneering spirit. This church still has a pioneering spirit. I'm grateful to God for that. I hope and pray God puts the prod under you and keeps the fire lit and the pioneering spirit until Jesus comes again. Because if you ever just get comfortable and content with where you are, I want you to know you're not going to please God. What's the next step for you? What is the next step for you? I'm not asking about this church. We're not talking about this church. We're not talking about the building. And and we're not talking about those things. No, no, I'm talking about you individually. I'm going to tell you why. You know how churches move forward? When each individual in the church takes the next step of obedience to God. you got a wonderful pastor. But this church won't move forward on your pastor's sermons. 
And this church won't move forward on good music. And this church won't move forward on a new building. And this church won't move forward with money in the bank. This church will move forward when every member of the church says, you know what, I'm going to obey God and do my part. Watch this. And when all of us do that, the Lord moves it all forward. Here's the second one. You want a godly goal? Number one, preach the gospel. Look at verse 17. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Would you write this down? Not only to preach the gospel to others, but to give glory to God. Let that be the aim. Not that somebody would brag on us. No, no, to give glory to God. I, I, I took you to 1 Corinthians a minute ago, but go back for just a second. Would you please go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The very first thing Paul ever wrote to the church at Corinth, he dealt with this. Isn't that interesting that here we are. In the second letter, near the end of the second letter, and he's still driving the point home. Almost sounds like we need to hear it again. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 31. But according as it is written, read the last part of 1 Corinthians 1, 31 with me, church. Ready? He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Sounds a lot like what he wrote to the church at Galatia. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Watch this. Let us die, and let Jesus be lifted up. Let us be nothing, but let Christ be known. Glory in the Lord. Give Him glory. Give Him praise. Give Him glory in your worship. Give Him glory in your praying. Give Him glory in your singing. Give Him glory in your witnessing. Give Him glory in your laboring. Give Him glory in your living. Give Him glory in your spirit. Give Him glory in your interactions with one another. But give God the glory because God is worthy of it. You know what we're going to do for all eternity? Give Him glory. That's what we're going to do. Maybe we ought to get a little practice now. What do you think? Lift up the Lord Jesus Christ and watch God do the work. See the connection between the gospel of God and the glory of God here? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Something I've learned about preaching. I said this to a young man the other night going into evangelism. He said, I, I need some help. What should I preach? I said, preach on Jesus. And I think he wanted something else, you know, like give me some other ideas. I said, look, you won't run out of things to preach. Just preach on Jesus. When you, when you don't know what to preach, preach on Jesus. And when you think you know what to preach, preach on Jesus. Now, I've discovered by experience I can preach any number of, of subjects and talk on any number of topics. But watch, when I start talking about Jesus, something changes. You know why that is? Because that's what the Holy Spirit likes to talk about. He came to lift up Christ. And when you start talking about Jesus, the Holy Ghost gets excited and says, I like that. I think I'll talk about him too. And the Holy Spirit begins to do what no man could ever do. Preach the gospel to others and give glory to God. Can I point something out? Go back to 2 Corinthians 10. Did you ever notice all the times the word boast is found in this passage? It struck me as I read through it again today. Verse 8, though I should boast. Verse 13, we will not boast. Verse 15, not boasting of things. Verse 16, to preach the gospel, the reasons beyond you, and not to boast. He said, look, we're not going to boast what we're going to do. We're going to lift up Jesus Christ. You can tell a lot about a man by what he enjoys talking about. You know what's deeply convicting about that? Most of us spend our time talking about things other than Jesus. Why is it followers of Jesus can talk about politics more readily than they can talk about the gospel? No, I'm serious. Why is it 
that we are quicker to talk about our sports teams or something going on in society or our own family than we are to talk about the one who suffered and bled and died for us. If we really believe what we say we believe, if our hearts have really been changed by the marvelous grace of Jesus, if there really is a heaven again and a hell to shun, if Christ is coming and eternity is just over the next horizon, then please tell me somebody why we don't talk more about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, the life choice ought to be, I, I'm going to preach the gospel to others, and I'm going to give glory to God. One more. Look at verse 18. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Would you write it down? My, my three godly goals, here they are, to preach the gospel to others, to give glory to God, and to receive the only commendation that matters. What's the only commendation that matters? The only one that matters in the end is what the Lord says. Remember, this is a war passage, a spiritual warfare passage. Seems like Paul said something about that when he was about to die. I have fought a good what? Mm. Wouldn't it be good if we could get to the end of this battle and say, you know, Lord, I I didn't always fight like I should have fought, but it was a good fight, and I sure am glad I was in it. I tell you, we have created such a weak pampered kind of christianity we know nothing of suffering and sacrifice we think our inconveniences and our lack of comfort is some martyrdom for the lord god deliver us must i be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas i'm going to tell you something church it's time for some of god's people to say you know what forget what everybody thinks and forget what i think what does the lord think I'm going to give my life to what matters for eternity. In a word, you know what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is all about? It's about this. Not trying to be more than someone else. Not trying to be more than God created me to be. But not willing to be any less than what God saved me for. I don't want any more than what God has for me. But I sure don't want any less. I don't want to get ahead of him. And I don't want to get behind him. In the words of one of the great prayers of Scripture in Colossians, I want to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You know what I'm praying for this church? All the will of God. I prayed for as I came in, pulling on the parking lot tonight, looking at that facility, watching the people come into this building. All the will of God, Lord. All the will of God. I'll tell you the church that God will bless. It's the church that blesses him. Because the only reason the Lord lifts anyone up is so they will lift him up. And in the end, we'll all have to choose whether we're going to live for us, live for others, or live for Jesus. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.